of you a whole bit with here's your sign, you know, regular life out of college. And I was right. No one likes paying taxes. So they decided we're going to. And I got to say, I've never laughed so hard in my life. And, and there are times when I, I'll watch him on like a video. I'm like, man, he was a lot more funnier in, in, in person. Uh, but um, one of the things, you know, in comedians I've heard bring up are warning labels, right? So things like that. So I, I want to show you four of my favorite. Okay, these are four that I saw. One is off of a wheelbarrow. It says not for highway use. I don't know who ever thought, man, this would be a good car to drive in. You know, like how do you even think I'm going to take this on the highway? Um, another one, um, remove children before folding. Now, I'll tell you a quick story. One time, one of our kids, I won't name him, but I only have one boy. And so um, it was an old stroller, and all of a sudden we were pushing it, and it went, like it just collapsed onto him. So if you know, if you know him, you can see where some of the problems come from. Uh, no, but uh, another one is this, do not iron while wearing shirt. I'll tell you what, sometimes that is tempting because it's like, it's not, it's, you're just not getting it. So how can I make it look as best as possible, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you're the reason why we have these warm <laughs> Um But my favorite one is this one. It's kind of weird. Once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. <laughs> I mean, I would think that'd be self-explanatory, but apparently not. Right, um, and so, but we have warning labels on things because people just do things, and then I don't know if you remember what was it back in the late late 80s, early 90s, sometime when someone uh, poured poured coffee on themselves at McDonald's, and then they sued McDonald's and won. Yeah, yeah that we just need warning labels on everything. I mean, our society, um, what was it? I was, read something where they're like, um, back in the day when you read an owner's manual, it said how to change everything, and now today it says take it to the dealership. Yeah. You know, because really you can't. I mean, modern cars, I mean, our car underneath just has this pan. You got to drop the whole pan, but you're only that far off the ground. And so trying to pump that thing up, I'm just, I've never changed the oil. I tried it one time on that minivan, and forget that. I'll pay someone $100 to go do it, which that's pretty much what it costs. So, but we have these warning labels to keep us from doing dumb stuff, right? That's the purpose of them. So one, so the company doesn't get sued, but also so that we don't, well, maybe we need more of these to, you know, to decrease some of the, the people in our world. But um, maybe we should just take off all the warning labels and just let nature take its course, right? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, nat- natural selection there. Um, but in the scripture, we also have a bunch of warning signs and uh, warning labels. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those warning signs. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read the whole, the whole chapter today. And we're going to look at it because it's all one thought, and it moves us into been talking about the authority of Jesus, Jesus' authority. That the reason why the grass is green is because there's a sewage problem on the other side. And so sometimes there's that. So we've got to be careful about wanting, wanting, wanting. We need to be satisfied with what we have. Uh, another thing under Jesus' authority is we need to be seeking his will. We need to, not our will, but his will. And so this is why Jesus, when he says, pray like this in Matthew 6, he says, your will be done. He's talking to the Father. Your will be done, not my will, because my will changes. My will changes based on how I feel that day, um, my emotional state, my mental state. Um, It just changes. But God's will stays the same. And so if we follow his will, then things are actually going to work out better in our lives. The next one is putting faith into our action. God doesn't call us just to sit and uh, engorge ourselves with his word, but rather to put that word into action. We actually have to put feet to it rather than just saying, well, I know a lot. Well, that's good, but there's a lot of people that know a lot that know nothing. 
you know, and wisdom is the application of God's word to our lives. And so we need to put our faith into action. And the last one we talked about last week was not confining him to a box. Okay. Last week we talked about he was given three uh, questions. And in those questions, he was given two options. And that's what we try to do. God, you can either do this or you can do that. These are your options. And God doesn't play that game. He says, no, I'll take option three. You know, and he does it his way. And so we need to be, and if we take all those together, then yeah, that's, we are seeking his will. We're satisfied with whatever we are given. Um, we're putting that into action. Then we won't be confining him to a box because we'll be saying, God, whatever you do, that's what I want to do too. All right? So that's what we've been talking about these past three weeks. But Jesus in this next chapter gives us some warnings. And he, calls, he says they're woes, okay? So if you've ever watched, I love one of my favorite movies of all time is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I always, every time I read this, I always think of Keanu Reeves. Whoa! You know, every, every time. And so Jesus in this chapter takes on Keanu Reeves' voice um, every time I read it. So... Uh, I won't do that. I won't do any impersonations um, through this. But yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to read chapter 23. We're going to read it all together because it's one thought. And so we need to hear how Jesus progresses through that. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. All right. Here we go. Chapter 23 in Matthew, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the, uh, the, teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make the, their phylacteries wide and tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and at the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servants, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You convert, oh, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter while not, what, without neglecting the former. You blind guides! You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and in self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then outside also will be clean. Woe to the teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to, to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And yet you say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, the, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers. 
how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the, unright- all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berkiah, whom you, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children under as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I got to tell you, if you're reading through this, and um, sometimes it can feel like, yeah, go get them, Jesus. You know, go tear them. I mean, he, it just sounds like he's just going after the Pharisees. Like, man, yeah, chew them up. I mean, before this, he is constantly saying throughout the Scriptures that they're trying to trap Jesus in these different situations. And we saw... It's off? On? Off? I'll just stand here. Then. <laughs> Uh, but it's this constant thing where they're trying to trap him in all this, these, these questions, these scenarios, and all that. And it's like, finally, Jesus is going after them. And if you think of the disciples, we've talked about this. The disciples have this idea in their head, this whole time have this idea in their head that they're there because Jesus is about to take over. And when Jesus goes after them, it's almost like a, a, pit, bull, uh, a pit bull on a stake. You know, just going after them. And, and you got to think the disciples are going back there. Yeah, Jesus, take them out. Show them who's boss. You ever want that in your life? Where you're just like, God, just take them out. And it's like, here's Jesus just going after these guys. But what's interesting about this is this whole, this whole section is both, uh, it's a woe to those who are listening to because of what's happening. But at the same time, it's a, it's a cautionary tale for us. And so let's, let's look at it. So this passage has bookends on it. It starts out with the Moses, the idea of the seed of Moses. And that idea is authority. But the way that it's described here is it's, they take the seed of Moses. It's almost like they're trying to take Moses' position. And so Jesus says, yeah, you need to listen to them because they do say good things. He says, but don't act like them. Okay, but it's because they're trying to take this position of authority. But through this whole thing, this whole time, these last few weeks, we've been talking about whose authority? It's Jesus's. And so he's going after these people because they're trying to take an authority that has not been given to them. And the reason why is because they're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of that authority. Why? Because they don't do what they they don't practice what they preach. Right. They want to look good. That's why he talks about the phylacteries. These are um, boxes that they would put on their arms and their heads. And they would have scripture in them and prayers and all these different things. And so he's saying they want big ones because then you see it. You know, they say these big prayers. They wear these, these tasseled gowns. They don't deserve the authority that's been given to them, that they've taken because it hasn't been given to them. And so you have that, that idea, and then at the end of it, Jesus ends with, your house has been desolate. It's been abandoned. And this is a common Old Testament theme, that when God removes his presence, when God judges, he leaves things desolate. And so we get a couple of these. Uh, one's from Isaiah 6.8. And in Isaiah 6.8, it reads this. It says, the Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, so Isaiah is hearing this, surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. And then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 6, 8, we have something similar. He's talking about the whole land. He says, take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you and make your land desolate so no one can live in it. 
The idea of desolation in the Old Testament carries with it the lack of uh, the removal of God's presence for a situation and the judgment of God. And so in this book in passage, or this passage, you have these bookends that's saying, here's these people that are taking this authority that was not given, that they are not deserving of. And then he goes into the woes. And then he ends with, there's going to be desolation. What Jesus is really getting at is, look, I'm bringing a case. This is almost like Jesus is bringing is a courtroom, and he's bringing his case before him and saying, this is why. It starts because you are not worthy. Here's all the reasons why. And because of those, it's going to end in desolation. And so this is one of those downer chapters because it's like, man, they are getting reamed. And you know what? It's a cautionary tale for us. So what we're going to look at as we go through these woes, these seven woes, we're going to see why it's bad for them and what we need to learn from it, from each of the woes, okay? So seven woes, all right? The first one is this, it's about barriers to the kingdom. So Jesus talks about how they are not allowing people to come in. They're, they're being the guard dogs. They're being the gatekeepers to God's kingdom. They're saying, you can come, but you can't. You're good enough, but you can't come. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, first year we come in our town, we do a community Good Friday service. First time I've ever been to it. Um, it was at one of our churches in town. The church doesn't matter. But what happened was, so we had teenagers in our uh, group. One was named Nick. Nick was a, a piece of work. Let's just say that. Okay, um, love the guy. We did a lot of stuff for him. Um, he led music for us sometimes. Anyways, uh, he was a wild guy. Uh, he shows up, uh, punk rocker. If you you know, I want to put it into that. Shows up to the Good Friday service because I invited the teenagers because you know, why not? Um, and so they show up. Here comes Nick, bright green mohawk. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Never would have loved uh, Nick. But bright green mohawk, um, you know, if you ever look at a punk rocker, that's what Nick looked like. Okay? Skater, you know. So he had piercings, gauges, he had, you know, and, and so he goes to the front door. <laughs> with his friends, and he's turned away. They say, you can't come in. Not looking like that. So not, you know, being who I am, I opened the side door and said, come on in. <laughs> but it's really easy to be a gatekeeper. Because if you don't look like us, smell like us, talk like us, you know, it's we tend to gather in communities where we feel the most comfortable. But if we think about what the community of God is, the church is, it's uncomfortable. Because if you think about in the context of what you had slaves mixing with aristocrats, aristocrats, that's a movie. Uh, you had these, these different people, different languages, Different nationalities mixing together. This was unheard of. You had women sitting with men. That was unheard of. Why? Because there's only one gatekeeper to the kingdom. And it's Jesus. And First John. John's writing to a group of Christians. And this is what he says to them. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's only one person that matters to get to the kingdom of God. It's not me. It's not any of us. It's Jesus himself. And when at the end of this book, Jesus tells the disciples, therefore go into all the world. We're to evangelize all nations. That means that there, and Paul talks about no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no master. These ideas of, look, all the things that we use to separate ourselves from each other need to be crashed down because Jesus is the only thing. And that should 
speak to us? Are there things that we're doing? So this is, I want to, I've shared this before, but I'm reading through what we're going through months ago. I'm reading this for months on end, and this has been something that I've been praying for, that we as a community, as a local body of believers, do not become gatekeepers of, of who can get into the kingdom or not. That it doesn't matter who comes in, if they smell or they, they can't talk right. You know, you guys let me up here and I don't talk right. So, I mean, we're, we seem to be pretty open. Okay? And so, but Jesus, and only Jesus, should be the one that says, you could come into the kingdom. Our job is to present it. And so we've we got to be careful that we're not like these religious leaders who say, no, only certain people. The next one, the next woe, is making disciples for ourselves. What the Pharisees would do is they would go off and they would um, usually, you would go around and then you would do your ministry and then you would be supported with the disciples you made. In fact, um, in Greek society, they would teach rhetoric, which is just a form of debate um, that, uh, at the time, and we still use rhetoric today. But then there's a story of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr was a, a became a believer um, around, I think it was the mid second century, uh, so 150 A.D. somewhere around there, and. The story goes with Justin Martyr is that he was looking at what would be the best religion. And so he would go and check out all these religions, all these different beliefs, all these different things. And at one point, he was going to this one teacher, and the teacher's teaching him all, and he's like, man, this is really good stuff. And then the teacher goes, hey, by the way, you owe me about 30 shekels or something like that. You owe me about 30 bucks. I need the payment now. And he goes, wait a second, I thought the whole purpose of this religion was to not worry about money and stuff. Yeah, but I got to eat. And so he left that, and he just happens to run into a Christian on the beach. And he comes to Christ. But what the Pharisees would do is they would go and they would get these disciples, and then this is how they built their incomes. And so they would do this. And so he's, he's going after them about this not that they're just they're able to support because jesus was being supported by the by many different people but that their disciples were becoming it was about them they were following the teacher and so this is later on um paul talks about gamelia or yeah something like that um and he's he's boasting that look this is I'm a, a student of this guy. I mean, look, if you want to talk about who has the best teachers, look who I had. Because that's what, that was the mentality of people. is always point to the teacher you had because that gives you status. And so you wanted the best teachers, so you paid the most. But you were a disciple of those teachers. And so when in, Corin in the Corinthian church, they, they had this mindset, and so Paul addresses it. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, 5... There's this whole idea of who's going to follow who. And he says, what after all is Apollos? There's people following Apollos. And they're saying, yeah, Apollos is our teacher. And he says, what is Paul? There was another faction saying, yeah, Paul's our teacher. And Paul's like, who are these people, right? What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? He says, only servants, though whom you came to believe, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And so Paul's point is, don't be putting these people on pedestals. They're not your savior, Jesus is. They're just workers. And so we see this in the church today. We see um, people, I follow this guy. I follow this person. And these huge ministries that are about that person. And when that person falls, the followers fall. There's a big one up in, I think it was Colorado, 
uh, in Colorado Springs, there's a big church up there. The pastor was the president of the Evangelical Society uh, group of churches. And then it came out that he was into drugs and uh, into homosexual lifestyle. Um, and the church was like a 12 million person church. And it went down to like half within a week or something like that. It was ridiculous. Because they saw that, and, and that's not a modern-day problem. Um, during the Diocletian, so during the 300s, there was this, um, this persecution of churches. And they would come into the churches, and there would be these people that would, that would have the Scriptures, because not everyone had the Scriptures, only certain people did. And they would go in and find these people and say, um, if you give us the Scriptures, then you'll be fine, but if not, then we'll kill you, right? And so there was a lot of these pastors, these bishops, who were giving away the Scriptures. And so the people at the time were questioning, is my salvation false because they turned away from God? Because they were so focused on the person and not Jesus himself. And we have to be careful that we're not making disciples. You're not disciples of, G of Jeremiah, right? No, you are the disciples of Jesus. We're here to help each other. This is one of the reasons why Jesus says, don't call anyone rabbi, don't call anyone father, don't call anyone instructor. This is one of the reasons why I don't like being called pastor. It's just one of the many. Because what that does is when we start putting titles on people, we start making classes. This person's more elevated than I am. What they say is gospel. Now, the only thing that's gospel is the gospel. And so we need to be careful that we're not making disciples of other people to worship us rather than to worship the king. In, this, in the third woe, we have this idea of not trusting God. So they were putting their trust, they were saying, I, I, an oath by the gold in the temple. An oath by the sacrifice. And so they're putting their trust, their faith, into these things. But Jesus is like, no. What's more, what makes the gold sacred? It's God who dwells in the temple. What makes the offering acceptable? It's the altar by God put into place that you could come to him and have sin forgiven. What Jesus is trying to say is you're putting your trust into all these different things, but you're not actually trusting in God. And he says, knock that off. And we have another one in 1 Corinthians 2. This is what Jesus said, uh, Jesus, this is what Paul says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's nothing else. We used to have a big altar table. I mean, this thing was huge. It was at least two foot wide, and I think it was about five feet long. Big, solid thing. Um, Jeff hated it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. It was heavy. I mean, it was solid. And you try moving that thing, you need two people to move it. Because you can, you, it was hard to slide it. I mean, it was so heavy. Um, Jeff moved it one time. And the next Sunday, someone came to him and said, I can no longer come to this church because that moved. Because the things were more important than the worship of God. If everything burned down around us and we had nothing left, we would still have everything we need to worship God. Because, yeah, because the church is never the building. This is a facility. The church are those who trust in Christ. And so none of this, none of this, all of this is nothing if we don't have Christ. And if we have Christ, none of this matters. It's a nice place to get out of the sun. That's all it is. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're focusing because we could easily build, right? We could build and build and build. But without Christ, it means nothing. 
Right? The th- where are we on? The fourth wall. Whoa. All right. Picking and choosing God's commands. The Pharisees, they uh, what Jesus brings up here is they were they're saying, okay, these certain things, and they would really focus on tithing, like make sure that we get the money in, and those other pesky things like, you know, being faithful, respecting parents, loving your neighbor, those are just secondary. Like that was the idea that the Pharisees had, and he says, look. Those are the weightier things. Jesus is saying those are the weightier things. Those are the things that really, when Jesus asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Did he say to make sure you paid every single time you went to the temple? No. He said to love the Lord your God with everything and to love people as yourself. Those are what everything else weighs on. He says you shouldn't not do those things, those other things. But he says, you better be practicing the things that matter. And when we go to God and say, well, you know what, God, there are certain things I don't like, certain things I don't want to do. What we're doing is we're going to God and say, I would like the buffet version of this. You know, I would like to choose what I like. We used to go to the hometown buffet. Of, um, I think it's a um, California thing. Uh, Golden Corral, same thing. But at home, at home um, town, you would go and they'd say, do you want a dinner or do you want the buffet? And you could buy just the dinner. That was dumb. Okay, like, you never bought the dinner. Okay, because, yeah, it's basically the same price and you get less food. I mean, so that's how they trick you. Okay? Um, but we do that with God. God, I'll pick and choose, thank you very much, what I, what I believe in your word. And it's more like this. It's It's not the buffet, it's your parents saying, here's your dinner, eat it, or go hungry. Like, that's what it is with God. Is No, this is what it is we follow. And if we, f- we do that, then we are His. If we don't, then we're not. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And so this whole idea of picking and choosing things, we can't do that. In fact, James, talking about the weightier stuff, in his, at the end of the first chapter in James, he says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one's self from being polluted by the world. So if we are not putting in practice what God says, but we're allowing TV or music or or politics, or whatever that is, to, to influence us more than the Scriptures, more than what the Holy Spirit wants, we are being polluted by the world. And that's not what God wants. And if we are so interested in building things, but not helping our neighbors, bless you, not helping our neighbors when they are in distress, then we are not following God. It's both. It's we are to be seeking holy lives. Lives that follow Jesus. And at the same time saying, how can I serve you, Jesus? Where can I go? What can I do? Who can I help? Sometimes, for, for some of you, that you can't. I mean, you physically cannot get up on a roof. And there are certain people, Cookie, I will not allow on ladders. And I'm not joking. She has tried to get on ladders in my presence. I said, no. No ladders. Why? Because... I don't, okay, here's, selfish. I don't want to have her fall, and then I don't want to take the time out of my life to go up to the hospital, okay? And so it's very selfish. <laughs> but, or do the music, yes. Um, but the reality is, we, all of us, have certain skills, certain gifts that God has given us to help each other. Those are spiritual gifts. Those are innate gifts, okay? And we need to be using those and utilizing Sometimes, there are times... Okay, give you an example. This right here, this little platform. We cut into the, the platform up here and we lowered it. I had an idea in my head how I wanted to do that. I talked to uh, Richard, Janet's husband, and I said, this is what I want to do. He says, yeah, I think we can do that. And he basically came up with how we were going to do it. Yeah. But you know what? I had to do the cutting for, to take it down. I took off the carpet. But you know what? Because I don't want Richard to do that. Because you know what? He needed to tell me how to do it, and it would be better for him to say, hey, do this, do this, do this, 
instead of me just floundering, both got the job done. And that's what we need. If we're not doing that, we're not actually doing it. Teamwork. Teamwork makes a dream work. All right. Okay. Woe five. Okay. And six. Well, five and six are actually parallel to each other because they're both talking about the same thing. About this idea that I need to look good on the outside and I can allow sin to fester in my life. And that's, that's complete. Jesus calls it whitewashed tombs. I mean, think about that. If something has... I don't know if you've ever had this, but you're driving down um, back country. Maybe you're taking a hike or something and all of a sudden you just smell this putrid smell. And it's just gagging because there's some animal that had died and it's just decaying. And Jesus uses that understanding of a tomb, of something decaying inside to parallel us thinking that I just need to look good. I just need to put on a smile. I just need to say everything's okay when it's not. And that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're here. The, one of the purposes of the community that is the church is to say, hey, how are you doing? And not to get, yeah, everything's fine when things are falling apart. No, the true answer should say, hey, can you pray with me? I'm going through this really hard time. I'm struggling with this sin. Will you pray with me? Will you ask me about it? Will you help me through this? That is what we need to be responding with. So if you're not fine, don't say you're fine. Okay? You're hurting. Let people know. Let them help you. Maybe they can't do much. Maybe they, all they can do is pray. I, I'm so thankful because I know a lot of people, and um, I, I wasn't going to call up um, one, uh, Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike is... Um, uh, the pastor over at Community Bible Church, and I was like, he was in, he lives in our that area where the destruction happened, right? And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to call uh, our church members first. I'm going to check on my immediate neighbors, okay? So I, I, on Friday we drove around, and if there was a neighbor that had destruction, we went over there and made sure they were okay, okay? So, but I thought I'm not going to call Mike; he can deal with it himself, <laughs> okay? But then Candace texts me, and she's like, hey, did you see what happened at the community Bible church? The, one of the roofs are off. And I'm like, oh, man, now I have to call him. <laughs> so I call him up, and, yeah, I call him up, and his, the power pole to the, the land was fine, but the power pole to his RV was down, and he, couldn't, he didn't have power. And so I was able to contact someone else, and they had a generator. And there was that connection. We were able to connect that person who had a gener generator with someone that needed it. And maybe that's all we can do. We don't have resources, but we can at least point people in the right direction. We just need to be people that are not just saying, are looking good on the outside, but we're taking time with each other's lives and saying, hey, let me help you in that. Even if you just need someone to talk. Because, you know what? One of the reasons why I, don't, I wear jeans on Sunday mornings is because I don't, one, I, I don't like suits. Um, two is because I don't want to just dress up and look nice for you guys. Okay. Hey, no, no problem. <laughs> you know, I don't expect it from you because I want us to live real lives. Yeah, this is dressing up. A, a full, <laughs> tucked in is dressed up. But because we are, I don't want a church of just really nice looking people. I mean, you guys don't, you're not bad looking, okay? This is going to sound bad. Maybe we'll just move on. All right. <laughs> but, you know, I want, I want us to be a church that is just real. And this is from... This is, yep, we're here just to worship. Come as you are. First Samuel sixteen seven. If you know the story of David, this is where David's talking, where God's uh, Samuel's looking at all the the good looking young men for, because these are going to be the one of these is going to be the next king of Israel, and so he's looking at these strong, capable men, and and this is what 
Jesus, uh, this is what God says to him. He says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. So he's saying, that's a good-looking person. That should be king. And God's like, no, I rejected them. And he says, uh, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so then you get this scrawny kid, David, and he becomes this great king. Because we need, and we need to be doing the same thing. You might look good on the outside, but is the inside matching? Okay? And so our, the last woe is woe seven. Okay? And then this woe, in this woe, it's this, um, the Pharisees are, are pointing and they're, they're like, you know what? If we live back in the Old Testament, in the old days, when God sent all his prophets, you know what? We would not be the ones who kill them. And they're, they're boasting about this. And yeah, because the, the paradox, the oxymoron of the whole situation is they're going to do it. All before this, God was saying these prophets, and Jesus used, if you remember, Jesus used that vineyard parable that, about the master and the vineyard and, and bringing these people there, and this whole idea that they would throw out all the, the people that came for the crops and all this stuff. And Jesus Says, and then they killed the son. Even the son, they killed him. And at the end of that parable, it actually says, and they realized that Jesus was talking about them. He's going after them, saying, you killed the prophets, and you're going to kill the son. They realized that Jesus was talking to them. And yet in this moment, he says, you guys boast. You boast that you wouldn't be one, but... You're going to. And I love Cookie's, um, there's a song that Cookie wrote uh, about the, the cross and, you know, maybe I would have been there, right? Um, and how I might have been the one who drove the nails. A realization of who we actually are. God, I am a sinner. And without you, I am nothing. An understanding that I, it could have been me. There's another um, a modern hymn that says, it was I am the one who cried out, crucify him. It was me. That was my voice. We need to be, we need to be real with just what we're, where we're at. I could have done that. I could have been one of the Pharisees that says, you know what? Let's trap Jesus. Because it's possible. Because I'm a sinner. And I'm only saved by grace, not by what I've done. And so this misbelief of following God, it's, no, I'm, I'm going to agree with God and what He says, not what I think. You know, a lot of people say, you know what, I, I'll ask people, so what do you believe? And it's like, well, I think that what's going to happen is this. Okay. How does that relate to God? We talked about this in our Sunday school with the teens, is there's absolute morality and there's relativistic morality. Absolute says lying is lying and it's bad no matter what the circumstances. Relativistic um, morality says in certain circumstances, lying is okay. Okay? But if the standard is absolute, but you believe relative, you're driving down the road. And you say, you know what? I believe that 50, going five miles over the speed limit is perfectly fine. And it is until the cop pulls you over. And then you get to argue with the cop about absolute versus relativistic morality. And he'll say, fantastic, I'll see you in court. Because the absolute morality, the absolute law, is going to trump the relativistic. And that's what it is with God. Every time. And this, this whole idea that I get to decide how I'm following God. That's not how it works. God knows us. And in the opening to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets 
at, uh, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir over all things, through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. What the Hebrew writer is trying to get from the very get-go is you follow Jesus. You, so you submit to his word, what he says, because he is God himself. And so that's what we need to do. God, you say I'm a sinner. You are correct. God, you say I cannot do it on my own. You are correct. God, you say that the only way I can get to you is through your son. You are correct. And you say, follow me. You are correct. It's never, how about we negotiate this, God? Because the problem is, is we can't negotiate. So we need Jesus. And so taking all of this, all of what's going on here, we have this last one. As Jesus' disciples, we must make sure that we are following Him as He intends and not how we think we should. I don't want woes in my life. I want you to say, you know, here's a woe for you. And as a community of believers, we've got to be really careful with this. Because one of the things that... So I've been reading through Matthew... And I was reading through Revelation. We did Revelation one through five, uh, yeah, one through five this past uh, spring, right? Those of you who remember um, who are awake, all right. So we were going through this, and what was interesting is in Revelation two and three, there were several times when Jesus would tell the church, "If you don't get your act together, this is a paraphrase. If you don't get your act together, I'm going to take my witness from you." I'm going to remove the lampstand from your presence. That, combined with the woes, shakes me to my core. The reason why is because I've seen it done in churches. Where a church loses their sight on Christ. Whether that be... Because they decided to follow their own God, like it is in the progressive Christian church. Whether that be in churches where they're like, you know what, we no longer need to do outreach. We no longer need to preach the gospel. We no longer need to get out into our community and love people and to point them to Christ. You know, they say it's like something around 3,000-something churches are planted every year, and half of those close. Like, not half the churches, but half the that number closes in that same year. And there's a lot of different factors there. But time and time again, I've seen churches just fold because they, they are in the woe for whatever reason. And God said, I'm just going to remove my witness from you. And you know what? I never want to see that. Not in our church, not in any churches in our town, not in any churches in our state, not in any churches in our country. You know, I, and I, I have this, this morning, I was um, just a quick read. Uh, I try to keep up with like Voice of the Martyrs and things and those groups. And just on Fox News, I saw this, this thing where it was um, a, a fire or bombing at a Coptic Christian church over in... Uh, Egypt and several people died and that breaks my heart but what if someone came in here and something happened would we stand even stronger on the word would we stand even more secure in our belief in Christ or would it fall away if we could fall away because of those things, there's some woes coming. Our nation is not in a good spot. Our world is in an even worse condition. And like we'll talk about next week, there is an end that's coming. And when Jesus comes back, are we going to be prepared? Is he going to come back and say, good job? 
You're faithful. You're here. You're doing what I said. No woe for you. Let's go into paradise. Because, so when I read passages like this, I go, okay, Jesus, if I'm doing any of these, if I'm in a position where I'm about to be woed, don't woe me. Okay, don't, I don't want that. Because with the modern day woe, it's like, it's cool. Not the biblical woe. It's not cool. And so my challenge for you this week is to go through these woes. Go reread this chapter. Go through them. That's supposed to be the, that's not Greek. And that's supposed to be and. Wow. Someone really should check it. Yeah. Yeah. I blame someone else. All right. Um, reread the woes. And just go through them. God, am I at a woe? Or am I at the precipice of a woe? Am I moving towards a woe? Bring me back. No woes. I don't want any woes. And just go through each of the seven woes. Am I, am I there? And just wrestle with God with it. And then the second part of it is I want to challenge you. As we were talking about being a part of the group, find a, another believer. Bring them aside. And if you're struggling in one of these areas, say, hey, I'm struggling in this area of woe. Would you pray for me? Would you ask me about it? Would you point me back to Jesus? Because that's how we build community. We, we share and we receive grace from each other. We have the grace of God on us that brings us into the community and we get to share that with each other. Let's do that. Let's build this community as a grace-based church. So when someone comes in, they're like, I'm just down. They don't see a bunch of good-looking people. I mean, they do. <laughs> but they don't see people who look great. But they see people who are, are great because they know Jesus. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. You sent Jesus to take our place, that we couldn't do it on our own. We know this. Your word says this. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much that we have the ability to just come before you in the presence and through the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask you, I ask you that you would reach into our lives, that you would speak to us, that we would not just be people that were that are just doing and going about our business on our own, but that we are seeking after you, that we are not just living life, but we are seeking the movement of the Holy Spirit, that we would be holy people, set apart from this world, but active in witnessing to it. And Lord, we just give this our lives over to you. This church is yours. Build it as you see fit. Let us be grace-based in everything we do, that we could be better followers of you. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.